Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining me on State of the Art Podcast. I'm your guest host, Meg Zaney. For those of you who are confused, State of the Art decided to expand their niche beyond art and tech to include a variety of topics which have shaped the state of art as we know it today. With this in mind, I've been invited to take over the podcast for a month-long discussion exploring sex positivity and the art of shaping body politics. Let's dive in. In this Not Safe for Work episode, we speak with new media artist Shanae Michaelaine Holloway about sex positivity and being an internet artist in today's media-driven world. Shanae will share thoughts on performance art, the term sex positivity, and a whole lot more. Please help me welcome Shanae. So I'm so pumped to speak with you. Uh, Shanae, you bounce around the world from New York to Chicago to Berlin and back. You say media becomes a public keyhole at which to peer at the desires of those around you. Some of your works include your uh, you performing a uh, to a live internet audience as you insert money in a mirror into your vagina to expose power dynamics. You play the role of a puppy in your chamber series where viewers must play, read, and solve the puzzle. You flip the table on your audience where viewers had to literally stick their heads in toilets to view and interact with your work, only to become the meta installation. And that doesn't even scratch the surface of what you've put out there. Are you having fun? <laughs> yeah, I'm absolutely having fun. Um, another thing that I say, I say a lot of things. Um, you say a lot of great things. Oh, well, thank you. I really, that makes me happy. Um, I don't do anything unless I absolutely want to. Um, I don't feel like art is like I'm not imprisoned in art. You know, I don't do anything for like capital A art's sake. Um, everything that I do is for me. And then I let art sort of have a peek into it a little bit. And I fun is absolutely first on my priority list. Um, not that this fun is not like extraordinarily fraught and emotional though. Which is super awesome. And, and that's definitely, I think it comes across in your work that it's just super genuine. Um, how would you categorize your work? Um, I mean, there's so many different ways especially within the context of art, uh, to, I guess, contextualize it in a historical way. Uh, perf the performance art field has a lot um, to be drawn upon, especially because the, the ways in which I use the internet and the in real life or IRL space together, um, I think is building a lot upon um, how we use our bodies, um, the spaces in which we can use our bodies. Uh, you know, I'm really inspired right now by dance uh, performance analysis because it, you know, it focuses a lot on trying to break down movement, right? So my question right now is like, how do we break down movement if 
we're sort of like catalyzing that movement with like hands on a keyboard, but we're still making these other types of movements like within sort of the digital space or the internet space or the network space, et cetera. Um, can that be a type of dance? How would you describe that particular type of movement if you can't particularly see it, right? Um, I you know, can also contextualize my work within the DIY or like do it yourself. Um, Canon, I, I work with a lot of electronics, a lot of like home built synthesizers. Uh, you know, the list kind of like goes on and on. Um, but for me, you know, it's a pretty like insular practice and I'm really happy sort of ignoring a little bit, um, like, you know, how do I, how do I categorize this? Because it allows me to actually experience the things that are going on. And ultimately my work is about relationships and interactions on like a very intimate one-on-one level, whether that's like one-on-one with myself or one-on-one with like me and like the person that uh, maybe I'm like even imagining, right? Because all of my work is, is usually dedicated to one person um sort of piece by piece there's always like a person who's initiated those thoughts etc so yeah it's hard it's really really hard and I'm a bit of like an artist in the in the studio that thinks that the world doesn't exist outside but you know I, that's why I try to do a lot of organizing and, and other things to to at least not be so solipsistic yeah do you think that being an artist and being you're, I mean, obviously, receptors are open as an artist. Do you feel like you have to shut yourself off from a part of the world? No, I don't think I have to. I think it's like an natural inclination. I think privacy and um, uh, what is the word I'm looking for? Oh, gosh, I want to say it's it's a word that describes like living an internal life interiority. That's what I'm looking for. Um, Interiority are really important to me, especially as a black woman. Um, Interiority is not something that we're always afforded um, because in a sort of historical context, black people didn't have uh, sort of the right right, to have um, an interior life or a private life or privacy in general. And this was regulated by laws and um, all sorts of other like oppressive um, forces and so for me, um, being able to have that space is is a privilege and, and something that's exciting and something that I'm kind of reclaiming. Um, but also I've been kind of alone through like my whole entire life. I was homeschooled and um, these spaces of like quietness and um, darkness even are very comforting to me because that's sort of how I chose to curate like my life just in ge- in general. Uh, and anytime I kind of like go outside or I'm too social or whatever, it's just extraordinarily overstimulating. And I'm just learning to kind of work with that in a way that makes me, um, yeah, like happy, pleasure, like it's pleasurable. Yeah. Would you say that's why you started on the internet and, and it, down this path of new media? No, I started on this path because I think new media has connections to history in a way that I find extraordinarily relevant. Um, You know, some people are um, like activists through creating new histories and new things, but I'm kind of like an activist by highlighting the histories um, and the kind of like wider implications of things through history, if that makes any sense. 
it it definitely does make sense. Um, are you? Oh, and I guess like a lot of your work can be, I mean, interpreted in many different ways. Do you want it to be read as is, or do you like that it remains sort of open-ended? Yeah, I'm happy to have it remain open-ended. Um, I, The control that I like to exert is sometimes um, not even felt uh, because the vocabularies within my work are, are so... Um, like vernacular and specific, for example, like if you've never been in a kink space, there's a lot about my work that you won't get. Right. Um, and I like those like levels of access. Uh, so for example, I'm very controlling in the sense of, you know, in order to view my work, you have to go to a specific place or you have to kneel down in a specific way, or your body has to sort of like work really, really hard in order to turn a, a large page or something, right? So I'm always getting what I want out of it. What you get out of it is like something completely different. That's yeah. fine. Whatever. Se- secondary. Fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, would you say that everything that you do is, is self-actualization? Oh, I don't know. Sometimes it's just um, for like beauty's sake. Like I paint um, and I make objects and sometimes those paintings and objects are just to have, um, and to hold like a piece of jewelry or something. So not always, sometimes it's just like the uselessness of a thing is, um, the point. <laughs> do you think that your work will continue to be online or do you want to, to branch more into a venue? My work is actually not a lot online anymore, which, um, is is a funny thing because I started almost specifically online and now I'm almost specifically offline. And a lot of the things that I have to do um, are sort of like make people print things out from their home printers or, um, you know, meet me in a physical space in order to witness a um, like a performance. For example, I was a resident at the Ace Hotel Chicago and there was it was an invite only performance. and you know, these kinds of organizational things happen over the internet. And if I'm sort of trying to analyze how we communicate and how we like sort of get people to do things that we want to do, I was still kind of actualizing these things digitally, right? But in order to experience the thing, there's like a dual, there's sort of a dual um, effort you have to make. You have to like follow my email specifics and I'm very, very specific in my email um, in kink spaces, for example, there's lots of rules uh, about things like even before you show up into the space. For example, you must RSVP on a certain date or by a certain time or you can't come into the space, uh, which is like a very hard and fast rule, right? Or you have to provide like your license number or your date of birth or your full given name or just, you know, all these different things. And so um, these vocabularies, they're still online, but they're all sort of an effort uh, to control what happens inside of like an IRL space. Which is super rad. I mean, I, I really enjoy how like much into um, BDSM and power play and, um, what would you say, what's, what's sort of been the reason that you have gone down this route 
behind exploring power dynamics? Uh, I think, I mean, first of all, that the aesthetic of it is just really interesting and exciting to me. I was doing another interview recently and I started um, answering a question with, I really like vampires. (laughs) I've always liked vampires and I, and I have, and I do. And there's a reason for that. Um, Vampires are these sort of like entities that um, have to like control their impulses for power right because they have sort of unlimited amounts of power and like depending on what world you're in maybe you're like a really evolved one that can like go out into the daylight and everything is fine right and so my like two early 2000s adolescentsness uh really loved um oh queen of the damned right and the characters in queen of the damned and some of them were like more or less free to live in the light because uh the main character whose name is I really work hard to forget these things so I don't obsess about them. <laughs> um, it's, it's escaping me. But he used uh, the internet and like pop culture to be able to like live in the light or at least live in public. And um, he sort of like took power that way. Um, but, you know, meanwhile, like there's all these aesthetics of BDSM and like club aesthetics, electronic musics, uh, or if not electronic music, like really heavy metal, which I was also really into as a, as a kid. And, um, you know, these are like cultures of, of like extreme sensation. Right. Right. And so I made the kind of parallel between extreme sensation to like, you know, sexual practices ultimately towards like, Oh, you know, I don't really like the pink fuzzy vibrator aesthetic. Like I'm going to go over to this kink aesthetic. And, you know, furthermore, I think like intellectualizing it a bit, I realized that the only way people really understand power in their bodies is like through experiencing it. Right. Uh, Whether that's like experiencing oppression and like the limitation of the movement of your body, just like, you know, on a sort of not even kink scale, all the way to like, what does it mean to feel shamed by another person for fun, right? And so if you like apply these um, different kinds of sensations in in an arts context onto a viewer, that's a a powerful experience also because it, it feels safe there, right? Like you're not experiencing like a conversation with a vampire or like you're you're not being hit for sexual purposes or you're not you know there's nothing implicating in you into anything taboo so like you're you're allowed to experience that extreme sensation whatever that may be like with me as this artist that can kind of like shepherd you into it so that's how which is it's it's totally cool i love the vampire reference um <laughs> I, I wasn't vampires. expecting that <laughs> Um, so would you say that these dynamics are always positioned as erotic performances? No, not at all. And I, and like the sort of human puppy thing is not erotic for me whatsoever. I mean, I think that there's also a way for people to be vulnerable that is not through eroticism and also to like have play. Right. I mean, it's, sort of an adult thing, I guess, because if you think of like other spaces of play within society and just like what is like accepted and expected, accepted and typical and normative, it's like the club and, you know, rock climbing or whatever, sort of like these places where fantasy already exists. Um, And it's all like adult daycare for the most part, (laughs) you know, these sort of like normative play spaces. And I think that 
it's just one step further to kind of be like, oh, well, I'm just going to be a puppy now. Like, what's, I don't see the difference, you know. Um, so I, it's not always, it's not always erotic, no. So And so basically you're also saying that, that sex and gender don't even play a specific role in this exploration. Like you could be a puppy and explore this realm. I mean, I think gender especially is implicated in it um, because, I mean, for a number of reasons, partly because being a puppy doesn't necessarily have to connect with your conception of gender at all. Like, I think it's actually a pretty asexual position for a lot of people. Um, But I mean, the history of being a puppy, which there's like a lot of it, they're mostly, and when I say mostly, uh, that's changing, um, like young, typically white, like cis males. Um, and so being sort of a puppy as something else is, is different. Um, but that's, that's not all always true now. Like one of the puppy title holders, um, is a black woman and I, you know, watching her in these spaces is so like freeing and like really inspiring, um, because, you know, surrounded as surrounded as she is by like all these other people, um, she's, she's definitely the alpha dog. You know what I mean? Um, so it does, you are implicated based on, um, other factors. And so I guess, I mean, to further down this gender hold, it's, it's, it's not relevant or irrelevant. I mean, it's very relevant, but it doesn't have to be relevant, like to you in the moment, like say like you wanted to be a puppy, you get to decide like how, relevant that is for you I mean fantasy space is a space where you get to let go of all of these conversations right which is another reason why you know if I could qualify it I might be like you know the artist in the dark studio not coming out not contextualizing things I happen to think about um you know when I emerge from that studio dark studio I happen to think about these things because I'm interested in staying like aware of my surroundings right and if I'm I have a responsibility when I transfer this stuff into an art space to be able to mediate that especially if I'm implicating viewers into the kinds of power dynamics that I am however in these fantasy spaces you know kind of anything goes whatever is able to um like whatever you're able to emotionally handle and whatever you're able to like negotiate with the people around you as being like safe psychologically it's fair it's fair game um because it's not real right? It can be as real for you as you need it to be. Um, but those are the spaces in which we get to be kind of fucked up for, for lack of a better phrase, because that's sometimes where we're working out, um, issues we may have with our own prejudice or our own privilege, you know? So can you tell us about, uh, your character, Bobby? Oh, well, that's actually, so that's not my character. Um, I did a, performance um with Paloma Gill who is like my best friend (laughs) Uh, we've been friends for years from when I uh, lived in Paris um and I just absolutely fell in love with her and we participated in a performance by Christopher Clary um and Christopher Clary is this amazing artist uh, that lives on the east coast who makes work about Um, queerness and uh, lots of photography and publishing stuff but we participated in a performance called Larry and Bobby Kissing which reproduces the um, Robert Maplethorpe photo The Kiss and this is like all Chris this is not me 
um, Paloma and I were just performers, but we put on leather um, and we kissed for, I think it was like an hour or something, um, which felt like an extraordinarily long amount of time. (laughs) Um, But what was happening in that particular performance was we we were recontextualizing um, kind of the like straight cis male white gaze um, situations that are always talked about within the the Maplethorpe photos. Um, And then Chris's genius uh, is also that he orchestrated this as an online performance. Um, And this is like the third iteration of it. He's done it um, like a lot of different times with a lot of sort of different configurations. Um, so in this configuration, we were saying like these types of interactions also happen in other ways. Um, not only can they happen with like two white men, they can happen with two between two lesbians, um, two lesbians who are friends, two lesbians who are not the same color, right? Um, so what does it look like when we replace that gaze with something else? Um, And also, like, talking about the word queer versus the word gay, I think, um, was an interesting conversation there, too. So how do we queer something that's already also, like, gay? I don't know. But this is all Chris's work. (laughs) And I might, I might, hopefully I'm not mincing words at all here. But we had extensive conversations about it. And I picked um, sort of um, being, you know, this character for, for the night. And we chose to to use the eyes instead of the whys for Larry and Bobby to kind of like lesbian it up a bit. <laughs> Does that tie into like you mentioned the decolonization of power dynamics? Um, do you think that that ties into diminishing those power dynamics, or or I mean, obviously you chose to do this that role because it resonated with you but do you think that that's something that that leans into diminishing the power dynamics yeah i mean anytime you can represent something in media or in an archive right because that performance was necessarily recorded it was at a museum um you know we were in a position of power to be able to create what this performance was and christopher clary was was definitely in the position of creating a space for a kind of decolonization. And he said, sort of, you know, here, I want you to come in and, you know, perform this with me so that we can create new space for representation. Um, and, you know, that's not going to end racism or like sexism or homophobia overnight, but what it can do is send a message. To, to folks uh, to say, like, we are here and we do exist in these ways. So what exactly then, removing yourself from that um, performance piece, then what what exactly would, were you referring to when you mentioned the decolonization of power dynamics? I mean, I don't know if it's decolonization of power dynamics in general. I think it's just decolonization as a as a, as an act, I mean, everything hopefully that we all do is contributing to decolonization and to the sort of like equality for all to kind of exist as themselves. Um, I don't have a time where I'm not thinking about how I can make something more accessible, how I can like rephrase something so that it doesn't um, 
like potentially like cause harm and we all mess up right um it's also very complicated to present a, a practice in which like um violence is a part is like intrinsically a part of it right and i've been like some of the criticism that i receive is you know how can you be a feminist or like how can you say that you're decolonizing something when all you're doing is like you know recreating like scenes of of violence and like harm right which is like not true especially if i'm the one who's usually like receiving the violence and harm on my own body like that doesn't make any sense to me um but I think that if we're not focusing on decolonization, what, you know, what are we doing? Are we like adding to it? Right. So um, by thinking about power dynamics, then this is sort of step one towards decolonization is just the thought, like, what is it? Where do they exist? When we first spoke, you mentioned having an issue with the term sex positive. Can you elaborate on those feelings and also what you would rather the conversation be geared towards um what was the word that you used it kind of cut out for a second sex positive or sex positivity um, what how did i sorry how did i describe it or how did i i think you you mentioned um body forward or sex forward oh yeah like oh you're just saying like i mentioned not loving that word yeah yeah, I don't love the word sex positive um, because it's, you know, it's just a whole nother sort of ism to have rules and, you know, to create um, kind of like, yeah, like rules and dogma around um, to be sex positive can mean all sorts of different things things but as it's sort of circulated right now as a hashtag or as um, you know, even like a, a requirement to be a feminist, for example, there's like all these ways that you have to like play sex positive and they're not always helpful um, way in ways in which sex positivity can be not helpful are um, for example, by, um, you know, shaming people's personal choices to be um, modest for, for example, or shaving, say, shaming people's personal choices to pick a material for a toy that's like less body safe, maybe than, um, than, mm, than, you know, the sort of like sex positive, um, police, <laughs> maybe, I don't know, um, would, would qualify as, you know, healthy or whatever. Um, sex positivity also like can cost a lot of money depending on, you know, who you're talking to, um, just based on like what these sort of new rules can be. Um, I choose to kind of think, yeah, in a, in a way that's like maybe sex forward because it, it accepts the fact that maybe we're not always feeling also like so sex positive, for example, like, or like so sexually oriented um or that you know being out and proud and whatever about sexuality has to be the thing that is the is the jam right now um sex forwardness i guess is about thinking forward um and through different problems um forward and through positivity um i think it necessarily encompasses sex positivity but just implies a little bit more of a a forward motion. And I definitely agree with that because I, I think it, it it definitely feels like with 
the term sex positivity that people are forced to be okay with other people's sexuality or showing their body or it means that they have to then follow suit right um and i i I definitely don't think that that's the case and i think that sex positivity is having it being all-encompassing where if you don't want to talk about it you don't have to talk about it right um so yeah sex being sex forward um can also yeah i mean i'm super modest so um i'm into sex positivity but i think it's also very comforting for to hear the word sex forward um so uh, with that said would you say that i mean the word sex positivity would then be lumped into something also with identity politics and feminism do you think those three are synonymous um that's a really hard question um and i don't think that it's it's synonymous. I just think that any time you have a rally around a word, right, which is like very, very useful in order to make generalizations about things and also order in order to um, bring ideas to folks that aren't sort of like even remotely in that world, right? They're useful tools, but we have to make sure to be able to pull apart the nuances within them. Um, you know, you hear like, yeah, that's, I think that's where I'm going to stop. Just because those, like having a word that represents an idea um, that is so vast and so nuanced is always, always challenging. Do you have anything against identity politics as a whole? No, I don't. It's just, a, I mean, I, I feel like I should have more of a presentable answer for this. Um, but as a person who thinks extraordinarily vastly and extraordinarily, um, I don't have, I'm not super radical in any way, shape or form. <laughs> um, I like to acknowledge nuance and like differences in opinions and ideas, even when I think that they're trash. <laughs> so I think it's important that these conversations exist, um, that we're having them across all different subjects. And, um, you know, if they didn't, how would we define each other against one another, ourselves against the landscape? <laughs> uh, are you or would you uh, define yourself as a feminist or or? Uh... Or how, how do you identify? Yeah, absolutely. I would definitely define myself as a feminist. Um, I come from a long line of them, even if maybe <laughs> I think that I can retroactively call them feminists when they don't. <laughs> um, you know, and I think I define feminists as um, people and not even just women or femme-leaning people, um, people who create space for the... Um, nurturing and care of, uh, of others, period. Um, and others mo more, even specifically, um, women and those who have historically been silenced, right. And advocating for like the survival of their word and creations. Do you, or your, does your art get lumped into feminism art? because you're a female 
Or do you even, um, does your even get lumped into that? Uh, I, sometimes it's actually very specifically not lumped into feminist art because I am female. <laughs> I think there's still a lot of folks who like don't accept BDSM as a feminist practice, which always surprises me um, because it's like not 1985 anymore. But it's cool. <laughs> it's cool. Um, but I'm happy to. I don't mind. I think. Um, you know, being categorized is, is useful. Um, because also just thinking about coming up as an artist, if we didn't have these like canonical categorizations, I would have never have found, um, a lot of different works like Latoya Ruby Frazier and her work with, um, Levi's jeans would have never have found that if it weren't for like art 21 doing this like expose on that work. Um, I would have never have found, Michelaine Thomas's paintings, right, which are like a lot of times lumped into these this like feminist work, you know. There's just lots of things that without those categorizations, I would not understand. Um, I think it's it's really interesting that you say that feminism isn't wrapped up into BDSM. Um, which for me I would say the people that are making those accusations haven't done their research um, only because I, I feel that BDSM is actually a really healthy way to have a sex life. Um, and and it, I guess I, I only think that because um, well, there's many different degrees of BDSM and you can dip your toe into it or you can be fully submerged in it but it all starts with having a conversation around sex and you know if if everyone party all parties involved um aren't having that conversation you're just simply not as safe do you agree with that or disagree um yeah i mean i agree with it even just one step before that in the sense of like bdsm sometimes doesn't even mean you're having sex like it's it's literally just a system of play yeah um do you think that that's prior to engaging in the play there's conversation first uh sometimes there is <laughs> you know i think that's where like things get funny because what people are worried about with with bdsm and i don't think this worry is unfounded is like well what happens if something goes wrong or like what happens when you think that you're doing this but really you're doing that or what happens when you know you can be as safe as possible and still like go to the hospital. You know, I've seen people have to go to the hospital and be like, oh, this sucks. Like <laughs> I got hurt too bad today or, you know, whatever. And I think when you're thinking about, you know, younger generations, right. Which a lot of like feminist theorists are, or like a lot of like old elders, um, you know, I think about their kids, like, well, what I want this for my daughter, or what I want this like for my younger self, like, no, <laughs> you know, like I, maybe I wouldn't want to go through that like traumatic experience where I thought I was doing something that was quote sex positive. Right. And all of a sudden, like 
I can't use my arm anymore because I like stayed in a rope suspension for too long. Right. Like that's a problem. That's a huge problem. So like I understand where people's fears are, but what really needs to be discussed is like, let people like leave people alone, (laughs) you know, like let people make their own decisions. And like that to me, that to me is a very feminist thing. If you are not letting people have their own agency, like that's not that, that to me is like just the basic like definition of like what a feminist is not. So, you know, it's not even about the fact that people are worried that the content of something is like too dangerous. That's fine. Do you see other parts of the world that are more open to sexuality and being explicit? No, no, I don't. Um, I think everywhere there's religion, right? There's going to be a taboo. Um, even in places that are like supposedly open, um, for example, like France, right? We have this sort of like Americans have this romanticized idea that the French are like very open about love or whatever, but really it's, it's like very hard to find, um, spaces to be able to practice, do these practices in, um, or when you do get there, there's like other things that are happening, right? Like, the history of colonialism is saying black people shouldn't be here or just like very like rigid social, like just cultural um, customs or whatever, you know, I think everywhere has their own ways of like making it hard for people to participate in stuff, even when those people all might look like you or all might speak the language. That's interesting. Even Germany Oh, uh, yes. Because, <laughs> like, I mean, I just always I hear stories of like Bergheim or like I look at them and they were, you know, they um, when you're born in Germany, you there's no sex on the birth certificate. Like they wait until you are old enough to identify to put a sex on your birth certificate. Like I just I just imagine that, like, they're a lot more forward thinking. I think it depends on who you are, you know, and where you are, because, I mean, I'm in the east, southeast of Germany, um, in a place (laughs) whose name I will not disparage, (laughs) because I really love this place. But, you know, I walk around and there's like swastika, like symbols, like on random street corners or like in the photomaton, like, you know, photo booth thing that you take to get your government ID photo. Like anytime when you can still see these symbols of hatred, like to me, they're while you might be progressive as a society because your government says that this is theoretically how like something should work, right? These underlying ideologies or or things that are hiding are not making you free like they're not saving you from that and even within those spaces like what happens when you're like the only black person that walks into a kink space right a completely otherwise very open very like progressive kink space where you see like you know I've I've probably seen the most heavy kink stuff in Germany you know and then those same people sort of like walking out and going to their investment banker jobs (laughs) you know, um, which is a sort of a type of openness. But when you see that, you know, you have to ask, like, who is this open for? Who can afford the time to be able to do this? You know, who isn't here? Right. 
And that, that's what I mean about everywhere has their things. Um, the, the customs and ways in which people might be open are different, but when it comes down to it, is it open for you? Who is it open for? Yeah. Really interesting. Um, uh, so let's talk about social media as a whole for a bit. Um, do you sometimes make a mockery of social media in a way? No, not at all. I think it's a very genuine tool. I mean, if you go to my Twitter, like I'm telling the truth, which is funny because I rarely do tell the truth on social media um, in the sense of like, I don't allow my real feelings to like come out. Like if you go to my Instagram, for example, where like most people are following me there, um, I'm always just like, uh, you know, like LOL or not cute or like, you know, something that's like very surface. Um, and I also recognize this is my way because like, I know everyone is watching me. Right. So the tool is actually like a little too risky for me to make fun of. Um, I also am like a little too earnest just in general as a person to like satire things. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, you say, um, your work is conversation pieces and also live bait. Do you feel that that's sort of what social media is all about? Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's a way in which we can kind of like organize our egos to like be useful, you know? Do you think there's long-term effects of, of social media? Sure. I mean, I think that, that it can definitely like make you very sad. It can make you jealous. It can make you feel all kinds of things. I mean, it's it's very simply, you know, sort of demonstrated by how, you know, you might have to like block or delete your ex when you when you break up with them because you don't want to see them moving on and, you know, kind of like doing things that you may have like pictured you guys doing together. I think that that's like a very common indication that you know we social media like does affect us a lot do you think there's any beneficial long-term effects sure um like i said i think it's a way to organize one's ego in a useful manner um (laughs) i i also think i mean it can make money too right you can use it to make money which is a way to provide millennials um and a way a way out you know um i also think like the circulation of information the circulation of information for social justice specifically is extraordinarily important and i hope continues to grow with the type of um technologies that will be new would you say that it just helps or hinders sex positive or body forward movement I I don't think that it does per se, but, you know, that's when you start to realize that there are people and their ideologies kind of like controlling them, right? Like the fact that you can't put nipples on Instagram as a woman is just ridiculous, right? And then there's like, like sort of this free the nipple campaign that's um, circulated because, you know, we want to be able to do this. And I think that that's really great. Um, and again, like sort of just very illustrative of these power dynamics that I'm always trying to bring out as well through my work. 
Yeah. Is there one specific thing that you're trying to teach in your work? No. Um, usually there's a question attached to it. Um, like in the last book that I wrote that is right now on display in the 205 Hunter Gallery uh, with the Refiguring the Future conference, it it's asking, like, how do we position ourselves um, to signal the ways in which we want others to treat us, right? Um, it also asks the questions of, like, what kind of patterns do we display? What kind of patterns should we get rid of if, we're, if we really want to, like, connect with people, right? Um, other questions I've asked before are, like, how do you connect um, with your loved ones, period? Like, connect meaning, like, you know, what technologies do you use? Do you actually feel co-presence in these technologies? What are what are better things that we could do or like what are features that we could add to, um, you know, video chat, for example, that would allow us to feel closer to one another? So I think it's, it's kind of work by work um, with the questions that I am trying to ask. Are you essentially trying to wake people up or or are there instances that you're trying to also numb people um i'm trying to kind of say like it's there and i and i don't know that wake people up is the right way to to put it because i don't i kind of reject sensationalization of anything i don't i don't believe that like something should be so special that it should take precedence over like everything else in the moment, or like it should be like the only question that you ask, right? Because all of these questions necessarily fit like within a viewer's life, lifescape, um, and like whole landscape of the way that they're perceiving themselves in relationship to others. So my question might just be like one that they need to like kind of turn their heads to look at, right? Um, because the questions that I'm asking are like kind of difficult. They're questions that like maybe if I wasn't asking them, like, you're too scared to ask for yourself. Um, so I'm kind of just doing that. But at the end of the day, I position the work so that if you don't want to, an like, answer those questions or even ask them or even, like, pay attention to them all at all, uh, you don't have to. Uh, my works are usually, like, quite quiet. They're, like, sort of not in a corner, but, like, they're floor pieces or they're pieces that, like, if you didn't have a, a interest to interact with like that particular object or that particular website, like you don't, you're going to miss them. And, and I'm fine with that. You're not ready or you don't care or it's just not for you at that time. Do you think the people that are witnessing your works are learning from them? I don't know if learning, if they're learning, um, but they're, they are definitely like using the work, right? Um, they're, they are like asking the questions and they are participating and that's all I can really ask. I don't, I place myself sort of in the spectrum of, of power as, um, a kind of like warm, like, like friendly voice, um, rather than something that's going to be like, you know, omniscient or like godly or, um, you know, absolute in any kind of way. Because I don't like being told what to do. So I assume that everybody else doesn't either, even though I know it's not true. <laughs> <laughs> it's totally true. Some people definitely like being told what to do. They love to be told what to do. And I know, and I need to like capitalize on that. But, you know, I like that people love to be told what to do because they'll do whatever I want them to do, which 
is exciting to me. Um, but I, I, fi- I figure I need to leave space for people who are like me. <laughs> you say, you say, uh, and maybe this was just that one performance piece of like sub not slave, but you also sound very dumb. Oh yeah. I mean, I have this funny thing of like, I will sort of like only submit to one person at a time and putting myself in this like kind of like faux submissive state is very strategic because in reality, even in these like very organized, like top bottom relationships, like the sub is really the one in charge. Right. So what does it look like to actually have power in submission and, and to have power in, in submission is, is like demanding what you want. Right. And also like being strong enough to like allow someone else to give you what you want. And to me, that's like even more dominant than like a dominant, like what we understand as a dominant yeah. power, like within a dominant sub relationship. Are all of your work somehow tied together? Like, is there an underlying message? Yeah, they're all tied together. It's like one big long sentence, really. Um, and in order to kind of like understand, um, like a full three hundred and sixty of literally what we we're just talking about, like what does it look like to like have power and agency from a submissive um, standpoint? Like you kind of have to ex- explore all of it. You have to come along with me, right? Um, and I don't know if there's like a message other than like, how do you, how how do we also use this dominant power, whether it is from like a submissive um, vantage point or not, like with care and consciously. And I don't think that there's anything in my work that's like saying that this is how you do it, but it's just a question of like, how can we be responsible with what we do have? Um, And is that, sort of what you're also teaching too I mean is that is that yeah yeah I mean like through your work it's like is it subliminal that you're teaching this I mean I think I'm very literally teaching this um so I I do have a practice as a as an educator um and in universities I teach um usually first year grads uh, across different departments how to use um technology responsible or I mean responsibly and um my students my most recent students were journalism students and that's like a huge question how do we use technology in a way that's responsible as a journalist we have to like be able to understand how it works right before we can even talk about responsible usage uh and another life I'm a sexuality educator so I do a lot of workshops around consent um and around just like having conversations around uh, desire and like personal space, right? So how do we use like our desire and our our literal appendages in order to like get what we want responsibly? And how do we do that with another person? Uh, so yeah, I mean, responsible conduct is what I'm kind of constantly about. So rad. We we definitely we need you on this planet. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, where do you see your work in? I mean, a year, five years. What's the what's your life goal? <laughs> Could that be a whole nother podcast itself, or is it no? Is it fairly not simple? even. I you know it's funny. I I'm pretty one day at a time. Um, but I 
and by one day at a time, maybe like six months out. <laughs> <laughs> I have um, a residency at the Triangle Arts Association in in Dumbo, Brooklyn, this summer for three months. And it's the first time I'm going to be able to have a studio. And um, hopefully I'll have saved some money by then. <laughs> so I can also like make money or not make money, make work that is not like digital. Um, a lot of the reason why I make a lot of my work that is digital or that can be printed out like fairly simply is because I don't have the time or resources um, or space to be able to create things um, that might require like, yeah, like a material, like, so, like just materials um, in general. And so I'm, I'm thinking of expanding uh, my practice because of the space that I have and the way to store it and sort of the kind of like platform of this, this residency into some painting, um, into more publishing projects that are like distributable um, as objects and also like meetups and um, sort of like happenings and seminars and things that, that I'll host in my studio that I've never really been able to get the chance to, to produce before. That's awesome. You um, recently created uh, the strap on harness for millennials. Um, how did you come across the need for, for redesigning the strap on? Yeah. I mean, I think it's just, I've worked in the sort of sexuality retail novelty retail industry for 10 years now. And I do the same thing every single time I go into work, I go in and kind of like observe people's buying habits. People ask me questions um, and people were just asking the same question every single time. Like, where can I find a strap on harness that is, um, I mean, there's a variety of different questions and the, the strap strap, the strap on I made, um, does not answer every single one of them, but how do, how, how do I find one that's like looking good? Um, that's quality and that isn't like a hundred billion dollars, right. Is usually the questions that I, that I get. Um, and in the industry, you either have like very high end ones or sort of like the opposite. There's not really like a mid range. Um, and so strap was kind of like a plan to try to fill that gap and that need. Um, there's also a huge gap within like, how do harnesses fit? Right. And so strap was also trying to fit a, a more like shapely body because a lot of these were designed sort of like late eighties, early nineties to fit a certain aesthetic that, that was in then. Um, and I don't think people have had the money, uh, to really like R and D, uh, a new strap, including myself. Like this project was last summer and I am having sort of a hell of a time figuring out how to bring this to life because I have no money. Um, but we're still, we're still trying. <laughs> um, I may know the answer to this, but or I feel like I may know your answer to this, but I want I want to ask it. Um, <laughs> does the person with the penis have the power? I mean, sometimes there's like no people with penises at all, even if you have a strap on. Right. So wait, like, how does that work? <laughs> well, as a strap on user, like having a dildo doesn't necessarily mean having a penis. There's lots and lots and lots of dildos that are not 
penis based, <laughs> which I kind of I like this idea of being like a, a, like something that's penis based <laughs> that are non phallic. I guess a lot we get a lot of requests um, at shops of like, you know, the point here is that we're queer people and we don't uh, need and not to say that all queer people don't want penises in the bedroom because that's absolutely not true. Um, but you know, the point is is that penises are not involved in our sex. So like, what toy can I choose? to um like have that happen so some might look like you know, a unicorn like or unicorn a horns or, or yeah heads of corn or whatever so got it got it um and then but so then does that person with the instrument generally have the power or would you say it depends on the role in which you're you're playing yeah i mean i think it just depends on the role because it's it's definitely possible that they do have the power there's lots of ways in which queer people love to recreate you know kind of like heteronormative structures of of play right but like that doesn't make their structure of play heteronormative does that make sense it it definitely makes sense i guess my i guess my bigger question is is it the the person that has that extra appendage or extremity or or whatever that's utensil that's going to be used for penetration is that the person that has the power i, I think i'm I intentionally know. not answering your question because there's so many ways to to like look at that right because even um you know we were talking about like what does it mean to be submissive like the power in a submissive is that they're able to ask for what they want from someone who does have the power, right? So you have to break apart your understanding of what power is or like be very specific about what that means to you in 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 the moment um to be able to to really answer that question because I don't I don't know that there there is an answer because yes, we you know, we both people they both whoever's in this situation have the power as um like folks acting within a situation um like an intimate situation so you know yes the person with the toy or the penis or the penetrating instrument does have the power but the person who is the re- on the receiving end of that also has the power to say like no or has the power to be like harder or has the power to be like whatever you know and I guess that that's sort of that's my my point in all of this is is as we're looking at body positivity, sex forward, do we start to get a better understanding of positions of power? Right. Yes. I think the answer to that question is yes, because <laughs> also just because you have an understanding of it does not mean you have to change it. And I think that's another thing about. Um, you know, these rules and sort of common conceptions about what sex positivity or or what it means to be like modern and sexy um, kind of just generally is um, forgetting about is that like you don't have to change things. If that is how like 
you you want to do things like just do them that way you know um and maybe the the area of like your work or your you know your emotional labor is like best placed elsewhere like not everybody has to like jump on this train it's just our responsibility as like a culture right to provide like a space in which you are allowed um, and that you know that there is an option for you to change things was there any time in your life that you feared sex? Uh, oh, I fear it now. I think it's the most terrifying thing in the entire world. I mean, I don't like vulnerability at all, <laughs> like as a general consensus. Um, me as a person, you know, it takes me like, I don't know, upwards of six months to actually like get to know anybody, just start to get to know anybody, let alone like want to touch them. I'm very like content being by myself doing things by myself you know I, you can still be a sexual individual like by yourself but even that is scary right there's lots of scary things that can happen um even just psychologically within that you know like what gender do i want to play in today like not having something in alignment can like fuck up your whole week or um you know what happens if i like shove this butt plug in my butt too hard or something <laughs> like I have to like get help <laughs> or like you know there's like lots of reasons why sex is totally terrifying I'm terrified of it um do you do you actively work towards breaking down your fear of it absolutely yeah and I think like one way um that I've done this in the past. Um, there was like at one time a bunch of us like trying to learn how to squirt, which is like a funny, <laughs> a funny thing to think about. And um, it came out that like some of us, including me, are just like, I don't know, like maybe just too much in our heads or like, you know, everyone can squirt. <laughs> like this is a, a power our bodies have. Right. But there's like roadblocks in between in between these things or, you know, like every everybody with a vulva like in theory should be able to like orgasm um like like have like a non-clitoral orgasm but like sometimes fear or like trauma or like other things can kind of like get in the way of that and um you know I'm old now and I still can't squirt so <laughs> I don't know you know I'm always trying to make those things different <laughs> um they still don't know if it's like what squirting is like, like there's some ideas they think it's urine. So like, have you tried having sex on a full bladder? Like, have you then squirted right. then? Or like, but it's, I, it's, but then it's also like juries out where it's like, no, it's not urine. It's this other fluid. Right. Do you? Yeah. And you know, men have a lot like cis men, cis white cis men, um, have a lot to do with that, you know, like who's controlling the medical research that is like doing these things because it sure it hell so it wasn't women like you know however many years ago. So like, what is that? What is that? You know, what what ways can that like affect our ways of understanding our bodies? Yeah. So I mean, really, I think you just have to like try it and see. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Trial and error. Um, but then also, I, I think too. I think it's encouraging more girls to to be in this space, to um, to be scientists in this space, to do the research, um, which, you know, I'm I I hope to 
um, through this podcast and, and other channels of my art to to influence people and, and women to um, be able to explore further um, the female anatomy. Um, so uh, do you have any upcoming projects that you are working on that you can discuss or want to discuss? Uh, yeah, I'm working on a project called Dog Whistle um, and collaborating with my dear longtime friend, Kevin Carey, um, who is an amazing artist and electronic uh, musician uh, for a performance based on the dog whistle like video installation. Um, so, you know, the work kind of evolves as time goes on. I'm not allowed to talk about where it's supposed to go yet, but um, <laughs> it was um, inspired by an article by Hanif Abdekarib um, that is entitled um, oh, On Future and Working Through What Hurts, um, where he discusses uh, heartbreak, very simply. Um, and I'm kind of like thinking about the dog whistle, which is this device or technology that, you know, only some beings can hear because our range of hearing isn't like vast enough to be able to hear like certain tones um, as kind of like structural simile to heartbreak. This thing that is around that your body can feel, right? Because the sound waves of a dog whistle, you can feel that there is a noise, but you don't hear the noise. Um, you know, something that our bodies can feel, but can't really like perceive as like a thing that is real and tangible and meaningful uh, in the ways that they affect like our relationships with others, our, the way our body feels, things like this. Um, and also like as a, a device that like dilates time, right? Because when you're kind of like perceiving a noise that is so radically kind of like penetrating your body in a way that feels icky right that can feel like it's like a thousand minutes a thousand years or like two seconds you know whereas also like heartbreak can dilate time in in the same way too um how can you know how can you tell time i'm paraphrasing hanif's words but how can you tell time if it is um you know if it's being drowned out by like um like you know, substances or how, how can you, how can you tell time when like you're so lost in your feelings, um, between like, you know, the present and like when you lost the person, it could feel like it was yesterday when you lost this person, it can feel like it was 600 years ago, you know, from the time that you lost the, per the person. So that's what dog whistle is about. And, um, I'm using the, like the central sort of visual, um, anchor point is, a 3D rose, like a la Beauty and the Beast, that just loses its petals sort of like perpetually. Um, and that will like sort of like tell time in the space. The, that It sounds amazing. Where is this going to be? <laughs> I can't tell you. No. <laughs> but it will be. It's, it's going to be in New York City um, in, in May. Okay. In May. So how do people then find you or connect <laughs> stay tuned cuz i'm sure a lot of people are going to want to check that out um yeah um you can find me on instagram it's like the best way to really connect with me um on a personal level and to kind of follow my work i announce everything there um also twitter 
um, at the same handle at Cleo girl, 25, 25, um, which I've had forever. <laughs> and I don't think it'll change anytime soon. Maybe when I'm like 80, I'll change it to like Cleo woman. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. Um, yeah. And that- I finally grow up, but um, yeah, like stay, staying connected with me on social media is necessarily a part of like what you have to do in order to understand my work too. So. Absolutely. And then your, um, your website too, uh, if anyone wants to check out, um, any of your past performances or works, um, is also a really good spot. There's a ton of stuff on there. Um, and, um, yeah. Is there anything else that you would like to add? Um, yeah, I would just like to sort of like acknowledge the fact that you know, this work comes like through a lot of support from the community um, and that I'm not making these things in a bubble and that there are many, many, many people that have helped me through, you know, misconceptions that I've had in the past, misconceptions about, you know, sex and gender um, that I'm having currently, right. Cause things are always changing. Um, but that, you know, there is necessarily contradictions in the work and without my community showing up, being their true selves, having conversations about, you know, what words to use, what words not to use anymore, this work would not exist. Um, I might be like a messenger, <laughs> for these things but I you know I'm only an authority because I've been doing it for so long but that authority is not absolute and that's something that I I really want to like make clear because um you know so often I'm brought in as an expert on something and it's just like I don't know you know (laughs) I just want to just say like you know I don't know yeah and I hope that that's really just communicated in the work. Um, and that, you know, anybody who sees this or hears this or hears me talking about things, um, can also talk about these things in such sort of like, I mean, I'm uncomfortable, but like, I think I come off as probably pretty comfortable with these topics. You do. You definitely (laughs) Um, do. (laughs) Yeah. Well, thank you. Uh, like with such, you know, intimate knowledge of them too, it's just like a type of journey that like you have to set into and like be dedicated to you know Um, and I've done that and so has my community so I just wanted to also just take a second to 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 acknowledge that they are great Um, and I'm very thankful for those around me but I'm really glad that you um have that but then also I feel like um it's a a world that embraces each other and the vulnerability and um the the art of not knowing um so yeah right. that's that's really cool um okay so to end on a light note the um state of the art has a um a tradition of doing some rapid fire questions at the end oh gosh cute <laughs> <laughs> uh you're so you're open <laughs> Yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, favorite color? Oh, uh, purple. I don't know. That's that. That's a lie. But <laughs> it's, it's, it came to me 
like a royal purple. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the the favorite color of the moment. What's the yeah, the right real now. favorite color? <laughs> you did say you lie a lot, so it's true. <laughs> I, um, it's because I believe my own lies. I'm like, oh, purple really is my favorite color right now. <laughs> no, it's um, it's black. I wear literally nothing but black unless I'm in my pajamas, so it's got to be black. Nice. Uh, yeah. Favorite book? Oh, um, oh my god, I don't have one. Um, like, as in, you have many, or you? I have so many. <laughs> um, Wizard of Earthsea is uh, by Ursula K. Le Guin is one of my favorite books. Actually, I lied. Sula is my favorite book. <laughs> Toni Morrison Sula is my favorite book. Okay. Um, <laughs> how do you spend your spare time? On the computer, which is funny because I work there too. <laughs> um, I also really love to go get my nails done. That's that's what I do. Oh, like a guilty pleasure. Nice. Absolutely. Um, greatest fear? The dark. Is it just the vast unknowing of the dark or literally like walking down a d- dark hallway? Um. It's literally walking down a dark hallway. Most, more specifically, the darkness in a forest. The darkness of like the outside is terrifying to me, and I don't know why. It's well, the unknown. The unknown is so scary. Yeah, I'm. I mean, I'm just projecting. I mean, it just. I feel that's that's my take. The unknown it's is like just so much. Yeah, yeah, darkness is really intense. Um, what makes you happy? When you can walk outside your door and like not know what you're going to do for a day, but you can do anything you want or you feel like you can at the very least. That's awesome. Um, That's the end of the rapid fire questions. (laughs) Uh, Thank you so much for hanging out. I had at least, I don't know, five other questions that, that weren't, um, that I wasn't able to, to talk with you about, but, um, but maybe, uh, one day our paths will cross IRL and we can further go down the rabbit hole. Yeah. Um, I just super appreciated speaking with you and, um, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you. I appreciate it too. Thanks for letting me not answer some of your questions in the way that you wanted me to. <laughs> I'm like, I'm kind of notoriously like a sort of a, kind of a hard person to interview sometimes, I think. Um, and actually, just also before I go, there was an article um, presented in an exhibition about a composer called Julius Eastman, uh, where he was also this way. And I felt such like warmth that this was a thing, but I ho- hopefully it didn't give you, <laughs> give you too much slack. <laughs> No, it was good. I think uh, I I'm really happy with um with uh, all of your answers. I appreciate them. Thank you. You're very sweet. All right. Thanks. And shout out to uh, Dorothy Santos for connecting our paths. Um, very much appreciate that. Yes. Yes. Dorothy is one of the most amazing, creative, and kind art people I know. <laughs> Awesome. Well, um, have an amazing day. Yes. Bye. Bye. Many thanks to all of you for tuning in to this episode of State of the Art Podcast. 
Be sure to tune in next week. I'll be your host hanging around still. Uh, This time I will be joined by OG host Andrew as we recap this month's episodes and share some color on the black and white combo of sex positivity. If you have something specific that you'd like answered, please feel free to drop me a line at hello at megzany.com or Instagram megzany. Uh, See you then. Bye.